Welcome uh, to episode seven of the uh, Deciphering Software Modernization podcast. And today I'm, of course, back with you, um, Sam, by the way, for those of you who don't know. Uh, we also have Francesco. Hello, Sam. Nice to be hey, here. Francesco. Welcome back. We have uh, Matchy. Yeah. Hello, everyone. And of course, we have our new our new guest, Christina. Do you want to tell everyone a bit about a bit about yourself? Hi, everyone. Thanks for inviting me. Um, yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, my name is Christina. I've uh, worked with Coherence now for um, just over five years um, with various projects. And um, prior to that, I've uh, spent about eight years um, working in sort of, like different areas within the industry, mostly telecoms, actually. But, but yeah. Nice, excellent. Well, we're, we're happy to have you joining us today, Christina. And today we want to talk about refactoring. Um, it's our main subject. Uh, we'll see where the, where the conversation goes. Um, but one thing I thought we could start with is, is re, what does refactoring? What do we define the definition as? Uh, and so refactoring. Francesco, I'm going to go with you. Refactoring, yeah. Is that thing that when you when you say you're doing it, uh, then the the project manager says, "Don't do it," right? Like, do it later. <laughs> uh, I think in in the in the context of software modernization, uh, we could say refactoring is the thing we are doing, right? We have a a piece of old code, a system that is working but is in bad in bad state that is hard to change, and we want to make it easier, safer, cheaper to change. I believe that's like the the thing that we're thinking about when we say refactoring in, in this context you are right in the context of soft modernization it is maybe a slight nuance because there might be times where you might actually change the <laughs> you might slightly tweak how the software works of course you might discover a bug etc cetera, etc cetera. um but i think refactoring is probably one of the most misused terms in our industry <laughs> someone's like oh, i just gotta refactor this and they've actually just changed how everything works <laughs> But yeah, it's when in software modernization is where we get the real value because we start with legacy code. We start with a system that everyone is scared to touch. And after refactoring, we end up with a system that is just not, but not just valuable, but also modifiable, changeable. I would also add actually that um, if you come to that point, probably... Well, uh, you missed the mark a bit, right? So, because usually you have to be doing refactoring all the time. You shouldn't wait for like a full-blown modernization project and everything. I mean, a lot of the times that is the case, but ideally, as part of business as usual, there should be some refactoring as part of the work, right? So, um, but as we all know, business as usual, most of the time wins. So, <laughs> a lot of the time, there is a need for the like full-blown modernization initiatives. But it's usually should be something that's it's part of your everyday work, regardless what you are doing. And so uh, I guess if it's software engineering, platform engineering, it's it's the same thing, right? Uh, improving the area around your current work, basically, always. Interesting though, yeah, we brought the distinction between sort of that continual refactoring that, as you said, Manchu, you should be doing um, all the time versus software modernization where maybe it's a bit of a larger effort it's a it's a bigger uh it's a much bigger hammer should we say <laughs> you're, that you're taking to not that you're breaking the software <laughs> but it's a much bigger um 
an impactful tool that um, you have to, it's a much more concerted effort you need to take um, with it. I was wondering, like, what, what do you guys think uh, a is a recipe for, in the context of software modernization, what is, um, what should be in that recipe to make sure that that refactoring is effective? Um, what, what, how can you set it up for success? I think having a sort of like clear stated goal and understanding of a boundary of what you want to work on, because um, obviously with refactoring, especially with um, large legacy systems, there there is a huge amount that you can do and you can be mired down for years um, just in the simple act of trying to make code better. Um, but I think having a stated goal or an outcome um, as a starting place, at least, is is um, it's a very good like beginning point at least and making sure that that uh, the area within that boundary is valuable to the customer like making ref like refactoring areas that are not that don't need change or they're not valuable is just really a waste it's if if, a, if code hasn't changed in 10 years then the impact of your refactoring isn't going to be much i mean if it if it's still working now right so maybe uh in terms of um what critical areas would be best suited initially at least, right? And then depending what the stakeholder reacts, maybe that's enough, maybe that refactoring is enough to help him or her achieve their business goals, whatever it is, like uh, you know, better agility or some cost optimization. Um, but usually refactoring everything, a legacy system is probably not a good idea. Maybe there are situations where that is necessary, but usually like starting at least with the most critical bits, is probably the best trade-off, I guess. We've seen a couple of uh, uh, tools uh, uh, in the past. Uh, remember, one's called Code Scene, I can't remember the other one, uh, that analyzed the past changes to identify um, combination of places in the software where there is high complexity and a lot of change at the same time. Uh, those are called the hotspots. And like working on those, probably a good start. And also you can identify the relationships between um, changes in the software. When this part changes, this part tends to change as well. Then you can start to see relationships as well uh, to get that sort of map or, or where to change. But it's a good point. The hotspots can help you pinpoint maybe where those areas that are changing quite a lot um, and also um, do have uh, quite a bit of technical debt as well associated with them. Um, that obviously hasn't been paid down because <laughs> that's why it has the accumulation of debt. One thing I was inter um, interested to to talk about um, was maybe what we, we spoke a bit about the things that maybe set up a successful um, refactoring. Christine, you mentioned about having a clearly uh, stated goal. Um, I guess to flip it slightly, what would then be the red flags for a refactoring? Uh, you know, where you would then say, mm, maybe you might want to reconsider uh, spending time refactoring this part of the project. I guess one of the things might be um, potentially if the goal is just refactor a specific area, let's say, and without trying to um, spread that knowledge of how to like refactor like in general the system, or at least use that refactoring knowledge how to write new code, for example. Right. So if it's only like refactor this, but we keep doing the stuff the old way, the new features. That might be a red flag. That should, it should be a bit more, right? It's um, it's a lengthy process. It's a complex process. So let's take advantage so that we also try to share that refactoring knowledge. 
So that's what is the state of the art way of doing new features within the system, let's say. So it's maybe not a red flag, but just something to keep in mind, right? And remind the stakeholder that it won't be um it won't be like a long lasting benefits if that that won't be considered that so this might be. I guess uh, two things that might uh, point the effort, uh, might point out that the effort is better spent elsewhere. Might be if it's uh, if it's not possible yet to ensure the safety of the of the area, that they are not uh, changing the behavior. I guess uh, see the previous podcast on Golden Master. Uh, and other thing could be if instead there are big um, big difficulties releasing, like also that might be an indication that the effort might be uh, also spent downstream of the software development uh, to facilitate changes. Um, but it's like, uh, it's not like you don't have a problem that like you should not refactor is maybe do something else first. Of course, there, there is obviously the big one that Christina mentioned. So if, if someone hasn't come with a clear stated goal or objective and they're just saying, ah, oh, let's refactor system X, that potentially is a red flag, uh, you know, or you might have to dig more into why they suggested that as a candidate uh, as well. Because uh, there might be a reason there, it's just not uh, came to the surface uh, right away. So one of the things is what I saw is uh, like the business uh, trying to make um, the developers um, like 10, 15 percent of the time devote to refactoring. And I don't mean refactoring along the place where are developing new things, but like to the proper refactoring. Um, and that is just not enough. They go back to their business as usual, and uh, that modernization effort, really, to be honest, kept the cold at this point is just uh, not is just not getting out of the ground. So it's something to be uh, wary about when you talk to your stakeholders, like how this thing should be conducted. Let's say. Yeah, I think there's an importance there. There's also like a sort of a, almost a clash of cultures at that point because you have people who work on the refactoring specifically, and at the same time you might have um, developers that are doing everything in the old way, and that 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 ends up causing a big clash, especially if there's like a concerted modernization effort in some area of a code base that is, um, for example, having um, features consistently developed by a separate team. Um, you might find that. That it, 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 at that point, it might feel like it's not ready to even be worked on because that that clash needs to be sorted out. Almost, um, you need to be able to um, make the efforts and also ensure that they are maintained at the same time um, to improve at least the efforts to improve the code. Isn't that sort of an inevitability? Like, if the area is valuable and needs changes, then there will be people working on it at the same time as it's being modernized. I, I think that's true. Um, I, th I think my concern there is more around the types of efforts. Of course, you can do new development and then be sort of like holistic or care about the code whilst you're doing so. Make sure you're, you know, doing your TDD cycles, trying to fit in code well, or you can, um, you know, kind of go against the efforts of the people who are currently trying to um, improve upon that area of code. And say, you know, well, I'll be just going to wedge this new if-else branch at the end of this um, big flow, and 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 then you're kind of working against each other now, and I, and I think that 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 maybe is a is a risk or maybe a, a small red flag or something in 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 that kind of effort. So you, I guess you're saying like um, in terms of 
by the beginning of refactor been a consideration is well who's touching the code um because there's as much you need to take the code on a journey as you need to take everyone who works on it on a journey and make sure that you can work harmoniously uh and decide what are the ways of working uh that you're going to adopt to make sure that both sides can do their work but not start <laughs> biting heads and oh you change this thing or where's this bit of code gone <laughs> that was there yesterday or you know like um yeah it, it's definitely a, a good point i i feel we're on the the precipice of talking about different techniques of refactoring because maybe what we're talking about here as well is different techniques might be useful in certain situations and obviously the um makeup of the organization people who are changing the code is obviously important although we say refactoring and when when we say it we're quite deliberate in what we mean by refactoring um as i said some people misuse the term and say you know we refactoring this refactoring that and they're, they're they're not actually refactoring they're actually changing the behavior quite considerably um and they use sort of refactoring as a as a synonym for change um which um is not the case um and so one thing i want to talk about is specifically in software modernization there's also this interesting scenario where although it's a very deliberate choice that you are refactoring you may uncover things that um behaviors that are maybe bugs etc that need to be changed and so maybe the even though the core behavior although even that might change depending on the bug um the core behavior maybe is the same you may still at some level be changing the behavior because you've spotted something that's not quite right um what do you guys think about that in your experience in terms of having to make some changes um after identifying that something's not quite right so fixing bugs when the opportunity uh, that arises not the opportunity when the uh, when when we become aware of them is the right thing to do but i think of the two techniques that uh, i have in mind uh one is better suited for that because uh, it leaves a single working copy of the software uh but this goes then into the the techniques again um but yeah, the like on um on a sort of uh, uh, more abstract level, you are refactoring something, meaning changing the implementation without changing the behavior. You encounter, become aware of a bug. Uh, fixing the bug, I think, ninety nine percent of the time is the right thing to do, unless some business process depends on that. And usually, I think the reason is. Uh, that you become aware of that because uh, the implementation is simpler if you don't have the bug. So you do the more obvious things and then uh, you notice a behavior change. An example I have in mind is like counting and filtering um, when it's not implemented in the usual way of doing the filtering first and counting later. Um, when it's not implemented that, that way, then uh, you will find out when you implement it in the most logical way. Um, fixing the bug, almost always the right thing to do. You have to find a technique that allows for that. Yeah, I would just add that it's good. Um, and this just comes to show how important it is that constant collaboration with the actual the delivery team that is working around the area. So that's through that constant communication and us like the modernization team showing the progress and maybe some um, maybe some doubts about the certain area. Is this actually a bug? Because sometimes the legacy code is something which usually seems to be a bug, maybe actually 
a weird feature that they implemented at some point. So it's good to um, like have that constant collaboration and that delivery team or also maybe the QA as well, like from the functional perspective, seems to be a bug, but maybe actually that's a functionality that is expected. So I think it's, it's important that collaboration with the people that work with that and are working in that area also, because usually a modernization team is um, most likely not be familiar to the same degree as those specific cross-functional teams or liberal teams. I think it's um, interesting as well that the fixing bug process, um, sort of like the current project I have, has a, has a very large um, suite of golden master tests. Um, and, and as Francesco says, refactoring sort of to the simpler solutions has on a lot of occasions caught us out in, in ways that we didn't expect. Um, thinking, well, actually, this should have worked and, and some small change. Um, but yet, certainly, um, constant communication with stakeholders has helped us a lot in, in that respect. Um, and there, there are certainly a few cases now where where I think um, uh, had, had the software been developed with different um, development styles and, say, mutation testing had been used or something like that, 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 that the solution um, initially provided would have been quite different. Um, but certainly, um, I think that some of those bugs that we have seen or we have found have turned out to be um, maybe more of a hidden feature in the end um, in our discussions with stakeholders of like, oh, we didn't expect that, but now that that's something that is almost relied upon or that would now be expected behavior. Yeah, there's some really good points in there for sure. Um, definitely around constant communication with uh, stakeholders, but also, as you said, like having that safety net that uh, Francesca already said this, we've talked about this in previous, in previous sessions, but having a safety net in the first place is, is absolutely uh, paramount really to be able to make some meaningful, meaningful changes. Um, we are, uh, as you said, Francesca, we are getting close to uh, talking about the two different uh, techniques or a few different techniques. Um, so I think let's, let's dive into it um, and we can talk about the nuances and we can compare them as well. Um, I guess the two I'm thinking of are uh, in-place refactoring um, versus sort of a more stronger uh, pattern or what's, um, I think Martin Fowler recently has renamed it to a stronger fig. Um, but for the purposes of this conversation, um, we can call it the stronger, the stronger pattern. Um, but yeah, the, the idea, um, I guess, does anyone want to talk about briefly give an overview of them or their differences, and then we can dig into, into each of them. I think the key difference is if you are going to have a single copy of the code or two, two parallel implementations. Uh, so with the Strangler, you would uh, have two implementations that run in parallel, uh, one being uh, uh, completed over time that will then at some point re be replacing the previous one. That'll be the Strangler fig. While the other, the in-place, is where you keep a single implementation and changing bit by bit. Right? You change it, you make little changes to it over time, and you are left with a single copy all the time. I think those are the two sort of the the the, the key difference between the two approaches. The, the, the multiple versions can then become even worse if you check in, say, multiple branches as well, uh, because then you have multiple versions that potentially across multiple branches, etc. Which then maybe you mean like it. you mean like git branches? So yes, yeah, exactly. So yes, um, so then you could get even worse uh, because if you have the 
copies uh, of the code on the same branch, um, but then you then have several branches um, related to that branch, then you then have several more copies than you thought you did of the software, if you see what I mean. Assuming oh, I God. have those branches. My head is hurting now. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, for the purpose of this conversation, we'll just assume that we're talking about <laughs> main or master, uh, a single branch, uh, to, just to keep it simple. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, maybe I, I just want to start talking about, um, I guess, um, Stranger, Stranger Fig, um, because one of the problems I see with that, I'm not saying that this is, I'm not saying this is, um, this is why you shouldn't go with it. But one of the problems I see is that because you have these these two versions, um, at some point, someone somewhere has to make a decision to effectively flip the switch, right? Um, and say, we're currently going down this um, branch of the code, and now we're going to go to the other one. Um, and I guess, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on, on that, in that someone has to make that decision and also the confidence that you don't just keep these two things uh, basically in, in the code base, but you're always just using the uh, option A and you're never actually flipping the switch to option B. I suppose there's a benefit to that um, it, with, with, the, with the fact that you can, that it is a sort of like a switch or whatever mechanism you choose to do. So you can, you can kind of go for a sort of staggered release option to minimize the risks of those changes, right? So in some senses, um, you know, being able to say roll that out to one less, um, you know, not not less important client, but maybe more, um, um, how like a collaborative client or something like that, someone who is willing to work with you on the new release. Um, you can minimize the risk the risks of sort of deploying that to everyone at once, right? Um, so so that the, there is um some benefits to that. And you've also obviously got the rollback ability of being able to say, hey, well, you know, we've moved you over, we've identified some problems with moving you straight back to, to you know, the legacy. Yeah, exactly. It's like a natural safety, a natural like um, safety version of refactoring, I guess, right? Because, um, uh, I mean, the legacy version is still running until you like modernize refactor the entire flow, let's say, for example, right? So um, that's, I guess, the safer version if you, trying to refactor, like, there's like a list of things that would say go for Strangler is like a like critical area or when the stakeholder is very cautious about this refactoring thing that he doesn't understand yet. And, you know, like she, she would like to be, uh, you know, um, it's like a proper safety net, right? So if we roll it out, it's, it, you know, it's very well tested and verified. And if something goes wrong, it's a simple switch, one second, and we're back to the legacy version, right? But there are a lot of cons as well, right? So the main one being is that uh, it takes a while to modernize an entire chunk of an application or workflow, for example, because usually uh, if it's a critical part, there's usually some kind of uh, new features added or some BAU being performed on it. And so um, you need to keep always um, updating that that refactoring like strangler branch um with those newest changes so there's a lot more effort i guess in refactoring right because you always have to it's like uh you know trying to change a wheel going 100 miles an hour during the highway right so that's kind of a refactoring effort but in the end it's it's safer it's it's, a, it's it's all about trade-offs. Uh, I suppose one of the trade-offs is how fast uh, do you get feedback on the changes you have done. Um, I suppose we've uh, 
a stronger pattern until you turn on the feature flag for the first time, you're not going to get any feedback from production of uh, how well is your change performing, how well is your refactoring performing. You will not find out until the end, until you're done with that, that part. That's true. There are ways that you can potentially still get feedback, though. Um, because I've seen it before where, um, again, it depends where you sort of have the, the flag, uh, so to speak, whether whether we're talking about a the flag is in the code and there's a there's an actual branch, like if else branch effectively, or maybe it's at like the, the network um, layer. But what I've seen before is um, where you had two systems and this was um, this was actually creating a, a, a newer version of a system. And basically it was done at the network where you could then send the same traffic to the new application. Um, and then you would then get back the response from the current one, the new one, and then you could then compare and contrast uh, the differences between them. Um, so I guess a form of like, almost like on the fly golden master sort of comparison uh, test. Um, it's, like a like, shadow, it's like a shadow deployment yeah. in some way, right? So yeah, exactly. also every other request or some request you send to that other implementation, but it's transparent to the user, but it's useful for your yeah. testing verification. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but I do agree that the feedback tends to be a lot, a lot less, uh, as you said, Francesca. And as, as you said earlier, actually, with the testing, the testing becomes a bit more, sorry, not the testing, <laughs> the, uh, the bug fixing becomes maybe a bit more involved because as you said, you have these two different versions. You have the, say your current branch and then you have your new branch that you're building up. Um, and then it's a case of, well, how are you going to uh, fix the bugs? You need to then do it in two places, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, it's, but as you said, it's a, it's a lower risk, um, thing for for stakeholders as well um until obviously you have to flick the switch but it becomes a bit more of a organized effort should we say managing these two versions uh of the software so what about the other one uh in place uh and we we, we keep going back and forth because uh, there'll be things we talk about that will um, for sure be interesting to draw comparisons between the two but um in place i guess you don't have you don't have this thing that i mentioned where you sort of this oh, i need to flick the flick the switch but then equally you don't have the well, you may have other rollback mechanisms, but you don't necessarily have what Christina was on about where you can then just roll back to, okay, let's flip the switch back and go down the other branch of the code. Um, you could for sure have other rollback mechanisms. Uh, maybe you revert the change that you've just done, um, but you don't necessarily have that same safety net, should we say. Yeah, I, I think the thing with in-place refactoring is that yeah, you, do, you do get the immediate feedback, obviously, um, you know, for example, your golden master test suite is still passing. You've you've got essentially the same features, um, but I think that there does come a level of cumulative risk, where you are making changes and you make them over an extended period of time, and then later on, you find something is wrong and pinpointing what has changed over that cumulative bundle of changes um, then then becomes quite difficult. So you was you specifically referencing Stranger Fig technique, or are you saying with regards to in place? I'm thinking more in terms of in place refactoring. Mm. I think there is that cumulative risk um, that you have there. You know, you might you might have introduced some change, some breaking change that that is only breaking for say one or two clients. You don't notice it. The golden master suite test suite of tests didn't quite cover it. 
and you've made a bunch of in fact like in place refactoring changes i think that you, you you've kind of committed after some point right you, because of because of the way that you've been pushing consistently yeah although i i suppose you're more i don't know my view is you're probably more likely to spot it with in place than you are with the <laughs> jungler fig like you, you i would say you may be more likely to spot it sooner but it depends, right? Because it depends what do you have in place in terms of testing? What's the safety net? Um, I think it also depends on how quickly do you actually get feedback from yeah. production. We we can imagine making a very, very, very small change, deploying it and getting feedback, but we are imagining a system where a single change can get out to production easily and then we can monitor and get feedback from the system. If that's not true, then there is this cumulative effect of, yeah, you're making small changes, but what really goes out and you get feedback on is not just one of those, but all of them combined over a period of time, then yes, it becomes harder to get feedback. You still have the delayed feedback, not because of how you made the changes, but how they get deployed. Maybe in terms of the like one of the pros of using this this pattern like in place. Um, is the benefit for the delivery teams? Because you you know you refactor in place, you merge it, and basically each sprint or ideally even more often, um, they have like a fresh area of code that is refactored, and they see that and they can use that as a blueprint, let's say, for like how they should be working, like they should be developing their code, or maybe them doing also those small refactorings as now they see how you did it instead of waiting for this. Like big bang, like you know, um, struggle pattern merge, uh, you know, at the end of the process, let's say, um, which usually the the little things they won't see it unless that is that is done to the end. I mean, they maybe sneak around your branches, for example, but usually they won't they won't see it properly and be able to work with it until it's like properly merged. It's a good point because they're probably still working on the, the version A, whereas we were on version B, and then they're not necessarily. Although, as you say, they can have a look at it and they might say, oh, this is how you do that. I'll, uh, I'll be inspired by that. But yeah, it's a good point. Um, but it does, it does come back to what you were saying as well, Francesco, around feedback. Um, because obviously, either solution could suffer from uh, that, that feedback loop. But I guess it depends where you put where you put your changes as well. Um, like, I mean, what I mean is at what level you put that, if else, basically. Uh, because there might be certain parts of the application where maybe you could put them uh, deeper in, in, the, in the code, should we say, uh, versus high level. Because obviously you can have a high level, go to my new thing or my old one. There might be parts that potentially, depending on how the system is broken up, you could potentially start introducing some changes and start flicking the switch sooner um, and earlier uh, in development. But depending on the scale of what you're trying to effectively <laughs> um, change, uh, that might not be, be realistic. So, so in place would should give you quicker feedback, even if um, the feedback loop from production is a bit slower than maybe than than the, than the ideal scenario. I think the the, the, uh, the the rule of thumb, like the the wisdom that I've seen uh, so far. Uh, when it comes to Strangler, is to put the um, the feature flag, like the the the, the if that decides between the two implementation, as early as possible in the user workflow. So rather than um, them being uh, deep in the system and so defining a smaller area that can be completed quicker, uh, 
I seen an, as an approach to put the feature flag very early on, like as soon as the, the request enters the application. Um, I mean, there is nothing in theory wrong with, with a different approach that delimits a smaller area and puts a feature flag there. It's just I haven't, I haven't seen it in, uh, in, in practice. I don't have experience with that. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, they limit a smaller area. You sort of have a middle of the road approach between the two, potentially faster feedback and still the safety. It sounds like a good approach. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, San sure. Francisco at one point, like also we did consider that also either that like although it's at the top level of the user flow, right? It's still we consider that maybe there's a specific um, sort of a specific combination of request params or inputs. And if that's the case, then it goes to the stronger one. If it's the other case, which is the most ones that build the legacy, but still you start with something that is like on the top level, but like partial thing that you can actually merge, but still call it like refactoring using the stronger. Yeah, I remember that. That was an interesting approach. Um, yeah, the idea was you receive a request and if the request is within certain parameters, so it's sort of a simple one, then go to the new implementation. And it was sort of splitting. Uh, not, it was not an on-off switch. It was uh, some of the requests that can be served by this new implementation will go to the new implementation. It was an interesting approach. So complex and yeah, yeah. be very cautious. Like, yeah. so, a bit uh, complex. If you try this at home, folks, yeah, just be cautious. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, I guess, I guess the same advice goes for trying to change your tire 100 miles on the, on the highway as well. <laughs> try that at home. <laughs> what do you think in terms of the, from like a stakeholder point of view, we briefly alluded to it in terms of them having to pick, pick a switch. What do you think the perception differences are in terms of stakeholder perception between in place, i.e. you're all working on the same code uh, versus um, Strangafig? It's an interesting point. Um, I've actually been working in an in-place refactoring project for, for the last um, couple of years. And certainly, at least um, the client's perspective in, in, in my project um, is was that they, they didn't like long-lived feature branches. And I, I think that that's sort of like sometimes a, a side effect of um, maybe doing something like a strangler. Um, but depending on really on how on how you do choose to do your merging anyway, and that was a strong um, part of the reason why we ended up going the avenue of doing in place refactoring. Um, so so certainly they had a, a somewhat negative perception of of that, um, whether whether that was um, unfounded or not. I guess it's a different it's a different matter. An assumption I would have about in place from the point of view of the stakeholder is the ability to, at least in some areas, start doing changes uh, cheaply and safely. Is that is that true? Is that real? Because it's just my assumption at this point. So is there some assumption that you can do it cheap and safe in, in place or that you can't? Well, no, is that uh, the idea would be this. Um, if I do in-place refactoring, uh, I will, uh, after a certain amount of time, have some area of the code that are sort of new. They're no longer legacy, right? And now I can change those areas. So it's like there's a team that is doing the modernization. An area of the code is now modernized. Other teams can now contribute to those area in, and do changes safely and, and cheaply. Is that a true assumption or based on the run your experience? 
I think that would be a fair assumption. Um, I don't know that that I've had that experience of um, of other teams coming in and changing code um, necessarily cheaply. I think um, so far we've we've managed to avoid um, overlaps in, in to to some extent in that respect. Um, certainly, I've had comments from client developers um, that that they have mentioned that code is easier to understand so that 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 part at least is is a win in that respect um so hopefully you know they can see different ways of going forward on, on their side a, a bit quicker because it's the code base that they they currently work on and that's actually what the uh, stakeholder wants to see right that's the let's say the new features are developed in faster and better way and that refactoring helps and the way that's you know the, the code they're working on this refactor is better but also they know how to not to write code, so that is instant legacy as well, and it usually takes longer to develop. So, um, yeah, that's like an instant win for the stakeholder as well, because usually business agility is it's always on their on their um, lists of you know things to see as benefits from modernization. So. Yeah, that's a good point because uh, it's that, that that kind of cost saving as well. I suppose like the the fact that they can be more efficient because the code, the code is easier to read and 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 change, um, and they're not spending you know lots of time trying to understand what the code is, how can I make my change, etc. Uh, etc. Et um, yeah, no, it, it makes sense. A random question, but and I've never seen this, but <laughs> what is it possible that? There would be a hybrid approach where you could do a bit of both in place and um strength of fig. I'm not saying necessarily at the same time, but because when Francesco was talking and saying, how oh, you uh do the uh, in place for a period of time, I was thinking, ah, oh, is there a point at which you could combine the approaches? Be honest, like before I joined Codurus, like the only way I was doing is the inline. And I had my little like golden hammer approach. For it, let's say, uh, that I use for almost for everything, which is um, the way of doing it, Michael Feathers pointed out in the Working Legacy Notebook, which is called, you call it the Sprout Method. So you take a small chunk of, let's say, you have 500 lines of method, which method, right? There's just no way to like quickly refactor that. Like, like, um, but you can find some cohesive units within that, and you can try to extract that as separate classes. And in the legacy part, you just inject that class or something like this. So it's not like a strangler where like Francesco mentioned, it's good to start like from the like user journey, top top perspective. Here is like you may you walk away from the inside, but still with larger chunks, which then you can use the legacy until you have that extracted class modernizer factor, which should take a lot less time than the proper strangler of a user journey, let's say. So this is something much that was that was my golden hammer basically, and still is, I guess, in some way. So that I like to use. I look forward to your book coming out, uh, Mache, on uh, the golden hammer technique, where you explain exactly how. <laughs> I I think to some extent we have done that in our project. Um, at least we we ha we do have some parallel implementations of of services that are used by by vast swathes of the project. Um, we we have required we have required to do sort of like refactoring, try and modernize the, for example, the way that we do database calls, but those are deep within functions that are utilized by many flows of an application. And in those cases, we can sort of sort of put those things behind an interface such that um the flows that we use um kind of end up going into a parallel implementation of, of that interface. 
Um, and I guess on a smaller scale in the sense that we've like provided like a similar like facade, I guess, for those two flows, um, that that does work in, in, a, in a much smaller sense, like similar to the way the, the strangler pattern does also. Yeah, but still you can you can have those um feature flags as well or feature toggles as well, but definitely be weary not to keep them for long, right? It's a like a shorter lifespan for those feature feature toggles, definitely. Yeah, but I think you can do it actually, like if you start from the inside, right? It's just yeah, be weary of those feature flags <laughs> as well. Uh so that they do not explode uh too much, let's say, and you forget about them and removing them. So yeah, that's another maintenance. I guess that's a good point as well. Um actually you raised actually because if you have if you were say modelizing different parts of a system um at the same time and say um stronger fig was in was employed in multiple areas you, you then end up with multiple um versions admittedly in different parts of the software it's not just the same version but you need to be careful as you say the goal is to at some point switch it over so you just are on one version again um and you don't want to necessarily um keep the whatever even if you just have one modernization effort and you're doing a refactoring in you know system x um you still want to make sure that you um aren't keeping those versions open for a long period of time um it sounds quite terrifying the idea of uh five different areas with five different feature flags you start getting into the sort of like infinite realms of possibilities of your application yeah. you know like which combination are we running today um that's true that's true because then you sort of get the com combinatorial complexity maybe as well that you have those different combinations and do they play nicely together etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, <laughs> but that maybe is a topic for another, for another time and, I and, then you need a, and you need one person to routine just to manage that right yeah, you know, yeah. the feature flag manager you know and it's yeah. like... <laughs> um i'd quite enjoy that title to be honest but <laughs> um but yeah i mean i think to be honest uh i've even talked about branching and i said i wouldn't but that is another topic that could feed into that as well where you start about managing it sort of scale as well but um but yeah, I mean, I've had a I've had a great time uh, today uh, talking about this, um, and I'm sure there's there's plenty more we could talk about it as well, uh, as we sort of alluded to just now. Um, but I sort of wanted to get around just what, what are your main main takeaways, and um, I'm, I'm gonna do it in reverse. So, uh, Maché, what's your what's your main takeaways from today's discussion? Be very transparent and clear with your stakeholder, I guess, before you make that decision, and also. Don't think that whatever you choose will be you have to do till the end of the organization. You may use different techniques for different areas as well. So always have that in mind and be transparent with your stakeholder. Uh, what are the pros and cons and the trade-offs? For me, it's uh, mainly really that that you know one approach doesn't fit everything. So there, there is a lot of different ways that we can choose to target. Um, our refactoring and that that really is dependent on I guess the development teams and us and you know the needs of our stakeholder really. Two takeaways for me. One is the importance of targeting, like choosing the right target, and the second is this um, uh, balance for the stakeholder between the perceived safety, but also the the sooner the earlier returns from the investment of the in place. Thanks, Francesco. You took one of the ones I was going to say, which is, yeah, this, this sort of, uh, I guess, balance between upfront when you think about refactoring um, and you might think, oh, this one is is safer. Um, but then, of course, there's a trade-off between one that maybe is safer, 
But then are you going to flip the switch later on down the line? Uh, what's going to give you confidence to do that, et cetera? Um, and these are all considerations for a modernization team to work at as well and work hard at because if, if say, you do go for the um, uh, Strangler Thig, you're going to have to put some effort potentially into uh, convincing someone that the, the, it offers like parity, uh, feature parity uh, with what's currently there. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of work has to go into that. Perfect. Thank you very much, everyone. Uh, to everyone watching or listening, um, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, and let us know uh, your feedback and any questions you have. And yeah, I guess until next time, thank you very much, everyone. And see you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone.